Welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside-the-wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another beautiful day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. Today, we have with us Lauren Mack from the Conrad Sipe Brewing Company, which was originally founded in 1854 and recently brought back to life by Lauren. I actually just had a Sipe Pale Ale last night with my pizza, and it is a really great beer. Welcome, Lauren. Oh, thank you, Karen. I'm so glad to be here. And you're right, pizza and beer, there's not many <laughs> better things that go together. It is so true. It, I really love the beer. And we were trying, my husband and I were trying to decide words to describe it. And the best word we came up with was crisp. And then I look on your website and that's one of the words you use to describe it too. So I don't know, it's just so um, super tasty and um, like refreshing, but you know, on the after, there's just, it's just so, so perfect of a beer. And we'll, we'll get into the making of the beer and all that in a minute, but your family story of this brewery and, and the significant Lake Geneva history that your family has is so fascinating. So I'm so excited to have you here. Can you kind of start by telling us, I mean, Conrad Sipes, and again, this is spelled S-E-I, PPS. I think that's the German thing where you pronounce the second vowel and that seeps. <laughs> You're exactly right. And that's something that we have been um, helping people remember by thinking, Sipes, it's your type. Because the Germans do pronounce E, I as I instead of E like we would in America. So you're saying it just right. And Conrad Seip is a German immigrant. Um, sorry, I should say he was a German immigrant because he came to America a long time ago, um, uh, around the 1850s, from Germany, where he was born and um, grew up. And how are you related to him? I'm Conrad Sipes' great, great, great granddaughter. Um, and I know that seems like many generations ago that uh, that connect us, but I really feel very close to Conrad after reviving his beer brand. Um, so that's one of the reasons why this has been such a special journey for me is it's really helped me feel closer to someone that I have always respected, but didn't know that much about and I feel like through reviving his beer brand and tasting his beer I just have a much um, closer connection to him. So the, he started this company in 1854? Yeah absolutely he came to America via Rochester New York and he ended up in Chicago where is where he settled and spent the rest of his life and he started off um, by a, as a tradesman he was a carpenter um, and he, you know, like, like immigrants do, they, they just work when they get to America and they figure out how they make ends meet. He, um, like so many immigrants, came to America probably not knowing much English, um, probably having very few connections. And he um, started doing what he could, which was at first driving a beer wagon. Um, and then he ran a small hotel. And then somehow, I'm not really sure how he went from the small hotel to he was able to by his own brewery um, from Matthias Best and um, started making beer. And I'm thinking as I'm starting to put things together um, through just learning 
from other um, family members that I've been talking to and, and connections that I've made through the um, revival of the site brewing company, that he met a family when he first came to Rochester called uh, the Bartholomew family. And the Bartholomews were beer brewers in Germany and brought their trade to America. So I'm thinking that when he met the Bartholomews in Rochester, he may have made a connection that helped him think, hey, maybe I'll make some beer when, when uh, he was after he had been in Chicago for a little while. As, how are you finding out all this? I mean, you said you've talked to some family members and, but I mean, what was the process like to dig back in history and really uncover his story? How long did this take you and how, where do you even start? Well, I'll tell you, it is a real thrill. It's sort of like being a detective, but I have so much uh, help coming from all different places along the way, which includes um, just excellent historical documentation and now is really centralized at the Black Point Estate and Gardens with Dave DeSimone and his um, great uh, work with preserving the family history. So, so much that we know about Conrad Sipe has been preserved through the, the efforts of the museum and also just preserved because of Chicago history. So I learned from the Black Point Estate and Gardens and then I also learned from uh, the Bruseum in Chicago, which is uh, led by Liz Garibay, which focuses on brewing history in America, but also in Chicago. And then just of course, um, from family history and family letters and family stories. And there's so much that just comes from just being part of the family. Such a neat thing for you to be doing. I can't imagine how proud he would be. But you did mention Black Point. So we're going to take a little Lake Geneva turn here. Um, I, you know, obviously, everybody um, who spends any amount of time in Lake Geneva knows what Black Point is and knows if they haven't visited, they've seen that huge estate way up the steps there on one of the greatest locations on the lake. And um, you have quite a tie and your great, great, great grandfather has uh, quite the tie to Black Point. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, Conrad um, made beer starting in 1854 in Chicago. His first brewery burnt down within pretty much the first year of operation. Um, and he built another one um, right on the shore of Lake Michigan at 27th, essentially 27th in Lake Michigan, um, South 27th. Um, he was successful. He um, started making a, a lot of beer and then more beer and more beer. He had um, a partner who helped him, um, who invested and helped him um, improve his production. So by the time that the Chicago fire came about, he was already well-established and one of the leading beer producers in Chicago. But then because of the Chicago fire, literally half of his competition went up in smoke. And because his brewery was right on the lake and outside of the fire line, it was completely untouched by the fire. So as Chicago was rebuilding and his workers were building what is essentially modern day Chicago, he was able to supply the beer to the city as it was building what we know of as Chicago today. And so that's why one of our mottos or one of our slogans, I should say, for Sipes beer is the beer that built Chicago because it's what people were drinking when they were rebuilding um, from the ashes of the great Chicago fire. 
And I'm sure they needed a lot of beer back then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a traumatic time. We have to remember that beer back then was, was like water. And in many cases, it was much safer to drink than water because the water had all sorts of things in it that weren't safe to drink. So I think people were drinking beer back then in a way that was very different than the way that we drink now. Um, probably a lot more is what I mean to say. Um, so, so Sipe in the night, excuse me, in the 1870s, because of the misfortune of the Chicago fire, um, ended up being very fortunate for him. And he brewed the most beer in the nation for a few years in the 1870s. And um, so I think we often think, we often relate Conrad Sipe to Chicago brewing history, but really he's a dominant player in the 19th century in just national beer history as well. So I, I think that's an important thing to note. I say all this to say that by the time um, it was the 1880s, Conrad had enough money that he was able to think about creating a refuge for his family outside of what was probably a pretty grimy and busy and, you know, just hot city of Chicago. And he, like many other um, industrialists at that time, were looking for a nice place, was looking for a nice place for his family to spend the summers that where they could get into nature and spend time together. And he found um, Lake Geneva and particularly Black Point and purchased 27 acres of land right on Black Point, which at that time was an amusement park called Warwick Woods. Um, where I think he and his family had scouted out probably a few years earlier and stayed at the amusement park, I'm guessing. And he hired um, Cadell, who was an architect who also was building his mansion in Chicago at the time. Both houses were, were built in the same year in 1888. And he built what we call in our family the big house, which is what is um, originally named the Villa Lorelei, was renamed later on now called Black Point Estate. And he and his family lived there from 1888 until my great uncle Bill, William Peterson, gave the estate to the state of Wisconsin in 2007, I believe. And I'm sorry to say poor Conrad only had about a year and a half to enjoy it because he died shortly after um, from pneumonia. Um, and his wife, Katerina, was left to manage and run the estate after he passed away. And then did she stay there for like her whole life? She stayed there her whole life. In fact, she expanded the 27 acres um, greatly and purchased a lot of additional land and farmland around Black Point. Um, and really, um, as so often is the case, was real matriarch of the family and had every summer a, or brought her whole family, which was very big, um, to, to Black Point Estate and had just a very rich life up here, not only um, enjoying nature, but also um, just getting physical exercise and students would have tutors, not students, children would have tutors and families would all be together. I think something that we don't recognize is that in those days, um, it was really hard to you know, you couldn't just run down to the Century or the Piggly Wiggly to pick up some food. So imagine what it was like to have a whole house full of children and nannies and uh, aunts and uncles all visiting and having to figure out how to feed everybody every day. It must have been a real production every summer. And that tradition has gone on um, and 
uh, in a way still goes on because our family is still involved with Black Point um, even today. I think I had read where, he, was it Conrad or another relative that had planted a bunch of evergreens and just really made the land beautiful, more beautiful than it already was? He really, um, I think, was someone who enjoyed nature, and that is a characteristic that is really passed down throughout the generations. Um, we very much value nature and being in nature and conserving nature, as well as, an enha as enhancing nature, just as you're saying, making sure that we're planting um, trees that are um, beneficial to not only um, erosion, but also to the beauty of, of the lake. And you mentioned um, you hope that people have visited or will visit. Now, there's an interesting way to get there. Can you explain how people would go and see it? Yes, it's so wonderful, I think, because it very much mimics the way that our family used to come to Black Point. Um, in the old days, you would take the train to Williams Bay and then our family and other families would have their boat, in this case, um, a steamer that was called the Lorelei, would pick them up over at the train station in Williams Bay and bring them by boat to their home and drop them off and everyone would walk up the hill and um, go to have dinner, <laughs> I'm guessing. And when you say walk up the hill, this just isn't a couple steps. <laughs> you had to be in, in considerable shape. <laughs> Yes, and in those days, the setup was a little different um, as far as where the, where the docks were and so forth. But you are right; these days, it is quite a quite a hike up those stairs. So, what I think is so wonderful about Black Point's partnership with the Gage Marine is that we are able to really simulate what that would have been like 120 years ago, arriving to the house by water, which is how it was designed to be, um, as, as everyone knows who's been there, it's really the most spectacular when you visit by water um, and it's, it's not designed to arrive by car. Um, and so I think it's so special that that's still um, possible for visitors even today. It's so neat to see the boat, you know, the tour boat pulling up to the pier and everybody unloading and going up the steps together and coming back down and everybody loves it who, who does that. And so was, was that a difficult decision for your family to, you know, to sell this to the state? Was, was it with the idea that it would become a museum? Did you know that or was that the state's decision? Yes, very much so. It was given to the state so that it could be enjoyed by everyone and so that we could be sure that um, visitors from Wisconsin and from all around the country could have the opportunity to see what is unfortunately a what's becoming a very rare form of architecture, which is the Queen Anne style wooden, um, essentially summer cottage. Um, as you may know, those are becoming more and more rare around the Midwest and around the country. And so it just was really important to our family to be able to preserve that part of American history and to be able to share um, what the life of the beer baron and his family may have been like. And so I think it's very much the intent of my Uncle Bill to preserve that history um, for for the Wisconsin and the, the greater Midwest community, and of course, anyone from the nation who'd like to come visit. 
which is so great because that is um, prime location, very valuable land. And you can only imagine if you sold it off what it would maybe have become by today. So it's really neat that your family did that and preserved that estate. And was this a place that you actually, like when you were a kid, got to go for summer and stay oh, overnight? Yes. Yes, I feel so lucky. I was one of the last generations to be able to enjoy it as a private home before we gave it to the state of Wisconsin. And so I grew up coming just like all of the generations before me coming every summer to visit my grandparents, who were my grandfather was Conrad Sipes' great grandson. So I would come every summer to visit him and I would stay, spend the night in the big house as a special treat. And we'd often have a dinner or two when I came to visit on the dining porch, which if you, if you have visited is a wonderful screened in porch. Um, and it was just a really a magical thing as well as a really great way to connect to your history. I think it's so important for us all to know where we come from and to learn more about um, what came before us. There's so much wisdom to be taken from history. And so it was just a really nice way for me to connect to that history. And, and as a result, I've always loved history of all kinds, not just my own family history, but um, just history in general. And I love so many people that I talk to up here, and myself included, have developed their love of Lake Geneva through generations, you know, just going way back. And that's why, I mean, not only is it such a special place just on its own and beautiful place, but when you add that sentiment to it, it just, you know, everybody's up here for um, such sentimental reasons as well. And that's why we all love it so much and are so happy up here and hope to spread that love. Um, so let's talk about the beer. <laughs> what made you, I mean, we, I know why you wanted to, to, you know, kind of revive the brewing company, um, but you know, how, where do you even start to say, okay, I want to make a beer. I, I, you know, did you try to find the, the recipe of, you know, s some of the beers that Conrad used to make and where do you even start with, you know, uh, reviving a brewery? Well, Karen, I'll tell you, that's a great question. And it is a long process. This isn't something that just sort of came to me overnight. And then we immediately started making beer. Um, my husband and I have been thinking about this for, I'll say, even more than a decade, um, thinking about how wouldn't it be interesting to start making beer again? Gosh, why did the brewery close? And we have, there were many good reasons why the brewery closed, which I'm happy to, to touch on. But when I was uh, in graduate school, we even were living next to some amateur soon to become professional brewers who helped us brew a batch based off of some advice, based off their own experience and just kind of some sleuthing about what the recipe may have been. May have been. Um, and that was the first time where we were able to, to see, hey, this could be something really cool and, and gave us more, emboldened us to take it to the next step. But it wasn't until I moved um, to Chicago about seven years ago. I grew up in Virginia because my mom left Chicago um, and I was born in Virginia. Um, it wasn't until I moved back to Chicago when I really better understood Chicago brewing history. 
and I was able to see what a huge role Conrad Seip had played in Chicago brewing history. And I also saw that there was a gap. There are so many amazing breweries and brewing companies in Chicago. I'm sure you um, know just offhand of several yourself. But what we were missing in this really rich current environment was a connection to our really rich brewing past. And I thought I could contribute to filling that gap because of my family history and because of my connection to Conrad Seip. And so I met through Dave DeSimone, the director of the Black Point Estate and Gardens, um, I met Liz Garibay, who is the founder and the executive director of the Chicago Bruseum. And through her, needless to say, she was really excited about this idea about bringing back the Conrad Site Brewing Company because she's such a, a historian um, and expert in Chicago brewing. And she was able to connect me to Metropolitan Brewing in Chicago, which is a really world-class craft brewery, one of the first craft brewers in Chicago that specializes in German style beers. And um, I met uh, Doug and Tracy Hurst and just immediately felt a connection with them. And luckily they were interested in the project and we launched this idea about a year and a half ago saying, yeah, let's, let's recreate this beer and um, get Sipes back into the world, revive the Conrad Site Brewing Company, which um, I'm happy to say we have done since you just had a Sipes last night with your pizza. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and how many did you get to personally taste test until you came up with the right formula? <laughs> well, it was a process because unfortunately we don't have a, you know, we don't have Conrad Sipes handwriting on a piece of paper saying this is what you do. Um, to make this beer. But what Conrad said did leave behind was a really rich marketing path <laughs> in that he was um, a really successful businessman for lots of reasons. One was just um, he made great beer. Um, another reason was he was very good at marketing. Um, he had lots of merchandise, which include signs and um, trays and mugs and so forth that you can still find on eBay today. And um, he also had a pamphlet at the, or his company did, he had passed away but this time, for the Chicago um, World's Fair in 1893, which really helped describe the beers that he was making. So we know very much about his brands. We know what the labels looked like. What we didn't know was the exact ingredients. And we have pictures of what his brewery looked like. So we know about what his brewing technology would have been. So with Doug Hurst, who is at Metropolitan Brewing, um, who is the founder, he was able to use his expertise in traditional German brewing styles and knowledge about how that evolved when brewers came to America. Um, we were able to also use clues that Conrad Seip left us, like he wrote on his um, labels. Bohemian hops were used in his beer, so we knew that meant Saz hops. Um, so we were able to piece together from history and just from, um, from brewing knowledge what I think is probably very close to Conrad Seip's Extra Pale, which is a pre-prohibition pilsner because that's 
for all those reasons, um, I think we're very close to what what Conrad Sipe would have made so many years ago. And we have to remember he was using the number one the number one ingredient is uh, Michigan Lake water. Um, Lake Michigan water, which uh, is probably a little cleaner today than it was when it was being used back in the 1870s. And you you have kept the logo, right? Or added a little something to it? Yeah, absolutely. We try to stay as um, close to how things were as possible. But with that in mind, we also have to remember that we live in 2020 and we have modern eyes and modern tastes. And so I think it's important to um, always be um, respectful of history and always draw from history as much as possible, but also make things appealing to the modern beer drinker. So we took the original logo and just made it a little bit brighter and a little bit cleaner for today's eye. And I know this this may seem strange, but probably not to you, but there's something about the actual bottle that I love, like oh. the color, the shape of it. It's easy to drink out of. And, you know, when you drink straight from the bottle like me, like it makes a difference. And there's just something about it that's really appealing. Karen, I am so glad to hear that. We put a lot of thought into the bottle and into the label. Um, so it means so much to me. And, and I wish I could take more credit for how great the bottle looks. I think it looks really nice too. But we worked with a designer um, at the Stout Collective in Chicago who really helped us take the original label and just make it, modernize it. So I'm so glad that you like it and it's great to hear. I noticed it right away. It's just, it's like just a pleasure to drink out of it. So, so do you, where are you actually brewing this beer? We are brewing this at Metropolitan Brewing in Chicago, which is in Avondale, right on the Chicago River. And if you have not been yet, please go. It is the most beautiful brewery. It has an incredible tap room where you sit right on the Chicago River, which has been really great um, during COVID because people can sit outside, enjoy a beer, and just enjoy being right there on the river. So please go if you haven't had the chance. It's delightful. And for those of us who are a little too far to, to go in the near future, we can still enjoy it where, let's say, you know, the Lake Geneva area where I know where to get it, but can you tell us all the possible places maybe to get the beer? Yes, and I'm so thankful to all of the businesses and restaurants who have been in, um, willing to carry Sipes beer. And I will say there are quite a few now. And the easiest way to probably find it is to go to our website, Sipe Brewing, and check out the beer finder, um, where you can find out exactly who's carrying it in the Lake Geneva area. Probably good to call ahead because Sipes does sell out. Um, it is on draft at several places as well as um, able to purchase in cases. Um, so it's it's very widely for sale across Lake Geneva. Places that you can find it for sure are places like Piggly Wiggly and the Century, um, Walworth Cellars, of course, the Green Grocer in Williams Bay, um, Lake Geneva Country Meats, River Valley Ranch are just some of the um, off-premise places where you can find it. And then many restaurants, including Pier 290 and of course the Baker House, just to name a few. Um, the Owl, of course, which is very close to the Black Point Estate, um, which is a great tavern. So just to name a few, there are many other establishments that we're very appreciative to. 
And kind of what's in your future? Are you going to be creating different types of beer or just keep going with this one and make it widely available even more so? Or what are you thinking? We are definitely going to keep making the extra pale, um, our pre-prohibition pilsner. We call it the pre-prohibition pilsner so that people have a context for what kind of beer it is. Obviously, Conrad Seib had no idea that that prohibition, excuse me, was coming. So he wouldn't have referred to it as that. But I think it does help people give give some context to the type of beer that, that the extra pale is. Because, you know, so often people see extra pale and they think that it's an ale. And in fact, it is a pilsner or a, a kind of a lager um, since it's a German beer or an influenced by German. I and it say. is really good. And I'm very picky about my beer. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I, I just realized I, I should, just to, to answer your question, yes, we are going to continue um, selling the extra pail, but we're also going to be introducing some of his um, other brands. And Karen, I'd love to get your, um, your opinion on what you think you might like to see next from Conrad Sipes' lineup. So, so Ooh, let me know. That's exciting. What, what you'd like to <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for for creating this delicious beer and for preserving, you know, the history over at Black Point Estate and just, you know, the history of your great, great, great grandfather. I mean, it's just it's so fascinating, your story, and I hope it it encourages other people to kind of look into their history and see what they can do to honor that, um, maybe bring it back to life a little bit. I absolutely agree. This is exactly why. Um, I wanted to revive Sipes beer is to give people the opportunity to not only drink a delicious beer, but to also have the opportunity to just join in conversation with each other and to think about their own history and their own, um, their own, share their own stories. So you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we're going for here. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. And as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva, the natural beauty, the crystal clear waters, the sunshine and the sunsets, but most of all, the people. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now. Bye.